When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So much had changed and yet, as Joe Miller placed the ball in the penalty spot, thousands at the other end of the ground could have been forgiven for feeling that nothing had. With only seven minutes remaining of a game that Rangers had dominated for so long, Celtic had a chance to equalise and continue their long, unbeaten Old Firm run at home. It was Richard Goff, on his way to becoming Scotland's Player of the Year, who presented them with the opportunity as his outstretched hand made contact with a ball that had bobbled wildly on the parkhead surface all afternoon. The Jinx, one of a few that are strangely superstitious, Graham Soonis lamented in the diary that he kept that season, looked certain to provide the chasing pack with a slip that they had expected. Second place Aberdeen were best suited to take advantage. Four points behind on that morning, a defeat of fellow chasers Dundee United at Pataudry would surely bring them back into contention, what with the Rangers' record in the East End being as poor as it was. Miller's penalty, however, like Celtic's title defence that season, was weak and devoid of the necessary energy and belief. Chris Wood stopped it and Gary Stevens was quickest to clear the danger completely. The last chance to catch Rangers had been snuffed out. Front runners from the start, it was a display of power and prowess that set it apart from the first two seasons of the Sooners era. There was no long, chaotic game of catch-up following a shambolic start, and, although significant injury would strike again, it was now a squad with a depth that could absorb the blows and respond strongly. This was a season that resonated far beyond the one footballing calendar. On and off the pitch, the pace of modernisation at Ibrox outstripped Scottish football by some distance, which in turn would create a chasm that had not been seen in the country for a generation. Rangers landed big victories in 1889, both in terms of margin and importance, that acted as a bellwether for the impending new decade. During those first two years, questions persisted about Sunnis' long-term commitment, the hunger of English mercenaries to bounce back from setbacks, and the impact that the wild temperament within the squad had on consistency. By the end of this third season, that noise had subsided to silence. This season is a tale of transition, from an inconsistent and immature impertinence to a more measured and balanced footballing team that was now playing for keeps. The campaign would have setbacks, as would those that had followed, but by its conclusion, all of Scottish football had started to realise that it would now take more than a few bad results to knock Rangers off course in achieving their number one aim. Before the 1st of April 1989, Rangers hadn't beat Celtic away from home in nine years. After that day, 12 years would pass before they would fail to go through a season without such a victory again. Before winning the league in 1889, Rangers had retained the league championship only three times in the previous 40 years. By the time they next lost out, there would be teenage fans literally unable to recall how that once felt. What was exceptional would soon be customary. The transformation from rarity to routine, far from being flaky and unreliable, Rangers were now becoming a 
Machine. Here to discuss just how that happened is Andy McGowan. Good evening, Andy. Hello, Martin. Hello, John. Hello, listeners. And as Andy's told you, John Cowden's already, uh, always here from Greece. How are you doing, John? I'm fine. Good evening, everyone. And to those listeners who thought the last show was a bit short, in the, as the song went on the 5-1 game, we want seven tonight. So <laughs> could be a long one. Well, well, we'll just, just see how it takes us. Um, we're over that bump, or that, 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 that titleless bump in this, this series, and, and we're going to start, of course, the first of, of nine consecutive titles in a row. I want to take you, gentlemen, to northern Tuscany, high up in the hills, uh, the living mountain. It's called a 600-hectare-long vista, um, full of olive groves, vineyards, picturesque villages. And as a resort there, a sprawling network of hotels and chalets, restaurants, sports facilities, 3,600 feet above sea level. It's called Il Choco, the log, the oak tree. And this was the base that, that the Graham Soonish chose to, to launch this championship fight back, guys. Um, the players had three days of running to and from Bella Houston Park from Ibrooks. And then they were given beautiful weather and food in exchange for 10 days of the most punishing pre-season training that any of them could remember. Three sessions every day, morning, noon and night, focusing on ball work, stamina, providing the kind of modern professional framework that had simply been missing badly the year before. Terry Butcher said, by the evening we were too tired to do anything else other than have dinner. Even if we went to the bar, it was for water, because we were there for one reason only, to get fit. The impact of this work at altitude was felt uh, on the way home, which came via a full health and technical assessment at Lillishaw. Most of the players raving about how fit they now felt. Il Choco borders the Garafignana, the green lung of Tuscany. Uh, and it was a trip, gents, that would breathe new life into this Rangers revolution. Andy, this this trip to do pre-season training in Italy, which was becoming now the heart of, of modern football, um, seems a wee bit different from Bellhurston Park and then a, a tour of West Germany or Switzerland playing some local village teams or whatever, um, this felt like a, a gear change. It was another signal of intent. We'd went from the first pictures of Sunnis in the Rangers training jersey at Jordan Hill um, to this, which was as hard as it is to believe in this modern day era of sports science to the nth degree, this was something fairly special to go and have a... a a high altitude camp basically you used to read about Italian teams doing this Spanish teams doing this you know taking their players away and isolating them for weeks on end in training camps and this was as, as close as we'd ever been to that kind of scenario and you know we used to de- devour the Rangers news at this point in time and see pictures of these lush green pitches the players all nicely tanned you know the shorts rolled up to above their thighs yeah and it's doing, and uh, it gave you an insight into you know this was kind of the embodiment of Sunnis' original you know, importation of Italian methodology and professionalism, um, and it was starting to show Rangers. So it was something different. John, Il Choco would become the, the, the base Rangers would use for, for, for some years. Um, did it register that, that, that difference, or was it just, just a, a change of scene? Because, you know, we had been to West Germany, we had been to Switzerland, foreign camps were nothing new uh, but again the, the players really really did rave uh, about this uh, this camp in a way that they 
complete opposite to to their, their dissatisfaction uh, from from the previous season. It's different. It's only in hindsight it seems more different. I think the big thing that you'd notice by then was the lack of games against, you know, the local mm. team of, of Barman uh, and Wakers, which seemed to be obligatory. You'd play three games against them and then you'd play a Bundesliga team or somebody mm. from the Swiss. The fact was that they were away for 10 days and... Yeah, you get what in the Rangers news, everything that was happening, look how hard we're training. Is the Rangers news ever say anything at that point, any season? Yeah. I think the fact is, hindsight shows it was right. But the big thing was we weren't playing lots of games, which was very unusual. Uh, for, as you said, when you go to Switzerland or Germany, you're playing amateur teams or even Sweden, you're playing. Here it was all about work, work, work. Now, how hard they're working... You don't know until they come back. I suspect there was also a drive between, shall we say, Rangers supporters and the team. Uh, McCoy's, Durant Britt, who were pig sick at the Tim's winning, the previous. And also the imports, who had a real winner's mentality, probably led by Butcher, who are like, last season isn't going to happen again. Mm. And I think there was a common purpose or mentality within the squad that I don't buy into Sunis' thing about, you know, we've won one, they've won one. I think when you look at the two squads, it's do we want to win it? And the things are better in place. Sunis is more relaxed. You, you see it pre-season and you see it all through the season. He's a man at ease with himself in 88-89 in a strange way compared to... Completely different. Yeah, compared to even the winners of 86, yeah. 87, and the disaster in 87, 88, shall we say, you know, which didn't go so well. This year he is a much calmer man. He, he looks relaxed, he looks tanned. He's strolling about as if he's got a Liverpool jersey on. Mm. This isn't this isn't the chaos or the, the what, what would you call it, the force of nature of the first yeah, two seasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, the, the big difference between the old Choco camp the tours that they would go on, you, you've mentioned it, you're mixing up days training with games. They're, they're, I think they might have had one game and visit, uh, asked a team to, to, to come in and play, but it was just this obsession with fitness um, and, and technical drills and just that focus while they were away. Once they came back, there was lots of Scottish pre-season um, games planned, but that, that came after uh, the work was done. Um, but obviously, as we we discussed at length through through four shows. Uh, you know, something had to change um, in order to um, get this thing back on track. While the the, the players were in Italy, that the club's annual report was released, and the message from the chairman David Holmes. Uh, well, I think he was drawing a line that would be visible from space. He called last season traumatic. Uh, he said it was. Has always been an honour to pull on the blue shirt of Rangers. There follows from that certain responsibilities to maintain the high standards of the club, both on and off the field. If a player's on or off field behaviour brings the club into disrepute, he becomes a liability. If a player cannot accept the discipline imposed by an officer of the club, then he cannot stay with us. Um, yeah, again, a clear line. Soon as on board with that, there'd be no continuation of that debilitating inconsistency and turmoil. Um, Soon it says the only team who can stop us regaining the title are ourselves. Celtic are still basking in the glory of their centenary success, but I can assure you that 
all that we intend to make their joy as short-lived as possible, which of course he would do. Privately, now this season, um, I'm looking at it right there on my shelf, uh, Graham Souness, a manager's diary. He he kept and published a diary from um, the, the summer to, to the next summer, 1989, which would obviously um, include quite a momentous event as well. Uh, it's interesting uh, in, in its insight, but he has a bit of ha- apprehension. Um, before you know, meeting up, beginning to wonder what what the season will hold for us. Are the players going to be up for it? Also noticing that David Holmes is maybe slightly different. Um, you know, he's maybe lost some of his enthusiasm during my first season. He was a tower of strength to myself and Walter. Maybe he's now had enough. He took an absolute buffeting in all sides last season. Perhaps that explains why he's not quite as bouncy as before. Well, we would soon see um, and find out why that that was maybe the case. Uh, in terms of transfer activity, guys, the, the traditional by then summer dance to landmark Hately ended quickly this time. Hately was keen, Monaco were not, that was over. So as soon as, because he had to have a target man, of course, went for, for Kevin Drinkle, Andy, um, from Norwich City. Um, they were keen to bring him in the season before, but Norwich City went in a bit of a, a relegation dogfight, wouldn't let him go, and his goals kept him up. Uh, 500 grand, beating off Manchester United and Spurs. So again, this was not some kind of all right at lower reaches of English first division. Um, this was someone who was wanted by the, 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 some of the biggest clubs in England. And again, an, an example that Alex Ferguson at this point does not have the pulling power when it comes to the transfer market that some may you know, reverse engineering uh, assume that he would have if he'd taken up the Rangers job. Um, six foot tall, loads of power. He proved very popular. Um, and he's 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 seasoned here. Uh, your memories of that that signing? I uh, came. Drinkle was an exciting signing, and that you were you were going back into the English market and plucking uh, a hot, not so much a prospect because you feel mature by that point. But you're you're plucking one of the hot uh, stars for for England. Um, my memory of him is he was extremely powerful. He was robust. Could play with his back to goal. Not quite Mark Hughes, but kind of the same kind of. Um, we yeah. are playing extremely good in the air, great attacker of the, of the ball in the air. And, uh, you know, the Haley thing was well known by then. Every summer we were linked to him. Uh, I think this was the second or third summer, maybe. Third. And, and it was just this kind of constant striving for a, the perfect target man that Sunis wanted as foil for a another, usually McCoyst. And, and, and Rico came in and they hit the ground running. I, I had great memories of him. It, it really... I think it was maybe one season for him at Rangers, and then obviously the season after things changed with the arrival of Mo Johnson, Esquire. But uh, I think he finished up top goal scorer for us this season, didn't he? Yeah. No, he had a great time. John, in terms of transfer activity, clearly the the big issue was at the back. Graham Roberts wasn't away yet. He would only leave for Chelsea on August 7th. So still a bit of work to do there, but clearly he was he was on the way. Sunis' uh, original plan was to move Richard Goff back to right back where he'd come and, and get a central defender in. Mark Wright was the, the big target. There was a bid for um, for him at Derby County that was rejected. Uh, Rangers were linked with a, a promising young centre-half from Middlesbrough called Gary Pallister, which kind of came to nothing. Um, but yeah, that, that plan was find a centre-half until it became known that the best right back in the country um, was unsettled and fancied a move and Rangers could maybe do that 
bit of business, which they did, of course, for Gary Stevens um, from Everton for, for £1 million. Um, Soonest loved him. Uh, he felt he'd be consistent and Soonest wanted consistency. Uh, he's the ideal modern defender, quick, athletic, strong. He gets tight on an opponent. He can get across the cover and he's the best at reading a situation. Um, if someone did get past him, Soonest said, he was sure that he had the pace to get back at them. That energy, that fitness, Stevens was by far the best player on the post-Italy beep test. Um, would provide Soonest with that, that reliability that he wanted. Uh, Gary Stevens missed one game throughout the entire season. I want to ask about the, the impact of Stevens joined, not in a uh, in a detached way, because he's not as big a signing in and of himself as, as Butcher was, but it's more the cumulative impact of the signing. Jesus, another £1 million signing, another England international, they had a horrible European Championships, but Gary Stevens started every game in West Germany. Um, he was the established right back there. It's just more... More, more, and this this kind of cumulative build that had started really with Richard Goff in the October of '87, and we we you know the three of us talked about that that winter spending spree uh, from the previous season, but it's just more layers of quality rather than uh um the the kind of impact of a of a single player in or of himself. Is that a fair assessment of the the the, the impact of the Stephen signing? I think it is. Well. We had actually done most of our signings for 88, 89 in hindsight mm. through the winter 87, 88. And a lot of those ones, I wouldn't say didn't perform, but the season didn't pan out exactly as we thought, do come into their, their own as the, at the beginning of this season. You know, Wilkins, Ian Ferguson, Mark Walters. I'm not saying they didn't contribute the previous season, but they didn't have a pre-season, didn't hit the ground running. Etc. And there were so many of them. And as you say, that I think everybody expected Goff. He pretty much was a right back apart from his year at Spurs, because yeah. that's where he played at the D United, mm. and he was this galloping up and down. And there was all these other right, and then Gary Steens coming in. And for people of my vintage and maybe older, I think the initial impression, and I don't think it will have changed, is he is the successor to Sandy Jarden in terms of fitness, mm. a kind of quiet calm about him. He, he's not lunging into big tackles and you know beating his chest the way Butcher was, a la John Gregor, whatever. He is he's a football playing right back who, if you beat him or get past him, sorry, his piece is going to get you there. But suddenly you're then looking at our defence, our team actually, but you look at our defence and you're going, what's in goal? You know, Gary Stevens, Richard Goff, Terry Booker, and then Brownham and Rowe. And mm. left-back's probably our weakest position mm. in relative terms. And it's another player who's a, who is a, an England current international who chooses to come to us, reinforcing that we are the kings of the United Kingdom football scene. There is nobody can touch us. If we want our man, generally we get him, or it's for other reasons. Mm than anything else. These guys aren't going to man you or anything else. You know, and Everton are a brilliant team at this point. Yeah. I mean they have won the league. They you know they, they, they are they were the coming team and would have won the European Cup if Liverpool hadn't, you know, caused all English teams to go out. Um and it's just fantastic. I, I think the Hately one just 
I was getting kind of sick. It was either either yeah. sign for us or beat yeah, it. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, three seasons in a row, not many people actually after knocking his back or not panning out that length of time. But yeah. Gary Stevens is, is classy. He really is. He's not... We were always labelled as being a physical team. Mm. But you look at our team at that point, footballing-wise, it, it's sensational. Well, this you can't is, accuse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just start a brilliant football team yeah. from back to front. Yeah. And this is something over the next four shows that I, if I do nothing else, I want to get a bit of love for the, the quality, the actual technical quality of this team. Because I think... Sunus has made a change. We, 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 the three of us talked to think about this uh, this need to win the fight first and stop being the punch bags, the laughing stock of Scottish football, overly aggressive, all the red cards mounting up. The discipline record from here until Sunus starts to crack up really before he, you know, he leaves in, in, in 1991 is actually very good. There's a control about Rangers now, but there's a balance and a genuine football imbalance about this team. It is one of the most underrated sides of of the era. Uh, Andy, that £7 million Rangers have spent, £7 million in two years from, from 1986 to 1988. Uh, as John said, the, the five mid-season signings from last year are, are bedded in. Um, you've got Derek Ferguson and Ali McCoy tied up on new long-term deals. Um, this is this is a squad of just great quality and stability. You get the best goalkeeper in Britain, their best right back in Britain, two very good central defenders, um, three very promising young Scottish midfielders, a winger who would end up in the World Soccer top twenty players of nineteen eighty eight, and of course you know Scotland's sharpest striker. And we talked four shows ago about Sunis's irritability, his defensive nature when he was interviewed on, on the eve of, of 87-88 about the chances of Rangers winning everything and he, he, he didn't enjoy that question because he knew he had not had a good summer. Completely different man. Um, he's comfortable, he's relaxed, he said Rangers will be going out, all out to win everything we enter. That's the way it has to be at this club. Um, for all that pain, Andy, of the close of 87-88, Celtic winning the double, um, farce after farce after chaos. Um, this just really did seem like the the, the, the slate wiped clean and, and Rangers absolutely all guns blazing to, to go again. So, so John just captured the, the, the signing of Gary Stevens perfectly. It was, a, it was a massive signing for us because it was the best right back in Britain, signed for Everton, a major preeminent English club at that point in time. And your squad was really, really strong, and the evolution was starting to take pace. You know, we had the first couple of seasons where uh, we kind of had a false start the year before because Celtic had, you know, whatever harmed in us. Until the year, they managed to make it work for them. But we always knew that this juggernaut wasn't going to be derailed. It was always a case of getting back on course. And the thing that was happening here was that. It was in the ascension. The, the, the squad was getting better and better. It still wasn't where it needed to be. And to go back to Drinkle, I mean, Drinkle was a great striker for us that season, but it wasn't quite where we needed to be for Europe, right? So it was this, this kind of middle ground we were at where we were becoming an extremely good uh, team for Scotland, quite rightly looking to win everything. But, you know, still that wee bit short. John, again, correctly identified the left-back slot was still something that we were always linked to a 
if you remember Martin Stewart, Pierce, Tony DeRigo, yeah. every left back gone, we were always linked to them because, you know, we were in the market for everybody and anybody. So, um, as an underrated, probably in hindsight, team, it doesn't get the love it deserves. Um, you've still got likes of David Cooper in there, you know. You've got Ray Wilkins, we spoke about in the last show, we touched upon his arrival. You've got moments of genius for Ian McCall, for God's sake. There's loads of stuff in that squad that was, was really, really good to watch and enjoyable as a Rangers fan. Indeed, there was. Um, for all these new arrivals, though, pre season, there was only one man people wanted to see back in a Rangers jersey, and that was, of course, Terry Butcher. His return would be difficult to catch. Uh, there was an SFA ruling at the time that prohibited fans from attending any game before the 30th of July. Uh, Rangers played Queen's Park at Lesser Hamden. Um, without fans, it was behind closed doors, but there were some peeping over the, 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 the walls and the gates. Um, either of you tried to get a glimpse of, of Terry Butcher back in the fold that, that afternoon? No, <laughs> I went the, I was every pre-season friendly, but no, <laughs> climbing up to look over the corrugated iron fences at, at Lesser Hamden on a Saturday no- yeah. afternoon. I could wait forty-eight hours. Yeah, or I, think you can, I think you probably could. <laughs> um, and it, it's probably testament to, to Butcher's reputation and the the confidence that he would be back. Rangers knocked back a million pound bid for him that that week. Um, from from Manchester United, United had tried to sign him uh, actually the week before the leg break as well. Um, so there's just a faith in that recovery. He is he, he's going to be back, and he, and he did. Um, the friendlies, Kilmarnock, Wraith Rovers, Air United, Clybank, well used, uh, well chosen. It was just a better programmed plan. The glamour showpiece, as they call it, um, friendly was of course at Ibrox. It was supposed to be against Monaco. Uh, who had to pull out. Uh, ironically, Rangers were showcasing a, a new Monaco-inspired uh, away strip, um, but uh, it was Bordeaux, uh, runners-up to Monaco in Ligue 1 the, the season before, um, who had uh, agreed to, to provide the opposition for David Cooper's testimonial. Rangers won 3-1, um, huge crowd sellout, people locked out, again, with all due respect, probably not to see Jean Tigana and Clive Allen, Enzo Schifo as good as they were, um, they were here to pay respects to Cooper, um, a, a great ranger, um, someone who obviously played so long at the club. Um, relationship with the fans went, was up and down, I think it's probably fair to say, over that, that career, but by this point there, there was a genuine appreciation. Um, I was there that night, uh, it was a lovely evening, First follow follow I think was ever sold uh, on the streets uh, uh, that 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 night. Uh, Andy, any memories of this and the, I guess the the homage to to, to Cooper. I was there as well. Beautiful night. I can remember the sun coming through in between the main stand and the and the, um, the Broomlin shining on the tunnel as, mm. as the team emerged. That, that brilliant strip and. What I do remember was the absolute frenzy for tickets for that night. The demand was absolutely incredible for for what is it was essentially a friendly, and it was just a case of you know people wanted to pay tribute as you say to David Cooper, and I, I, personally I always thought that it was great to see that Cooper Cooper remained here for the soonest revolution and was able to actually play in a team worthy of him himself. So a uh, great night, and I remember. The Bordeaux goalie, Dominique Dropsy. What a oh. name. 
Uh, 3-1 Rangers won. Butcher scored, as did Kevin Drinkle. Uh, and, of course, McCoyce with a, with a beautiful third. Um, John, you said you were at all pre-season games. Any memories of that night? It did feel different. I mean, I know we're all, even now, people are keen to get back. See what you know, new signings, new strips, and and sometimes a glamorous opponent. Um, but there, there was something different about that night, was it not? Was it for a pre-season glamour friendly? We seemed to play quite well. We didn't get played off the park, and we won, which yes. wasn't always the case. Compared with it was a glorious night. <laughs> <laughs> it was a glorious night. I think it wasn't just the team. I think the support were champing at the bit after eighty-seven, eighty-eight. I don't. In hindsight, I don't think it was that bad a season because of where we got in Europe, and I, in comparison to what went previously. But there was a feeling of they had run their luck to the nth degree the previous season, and we'd butcher breaking his leg, whatever. Think we were desperate. We knew we were the best team. We the we had the best team. We had the best players. We were the biggest. And I think it was like we've had to listen to this lot all summer. We've had to listen to them going about the Republic of Ireland, beating England, going so far. Mm. Thank goodness for Vim Keith. And I think there just is a thing of, right, Butcher's back, got all these new players, playing against Bordeaux, and it was a lovely game of football, from what I can remember. You know, for a pre-season friendly, you know, there was a there was a slightly higher momentum to it. I just felt... Probably us and the players and everybody was like, let's just bring on this season. We're ready to go. And just like, is that everybody? And that might be hindsight because of what happens in the first few games. But I just recall everybody was up for it. It was like, okay, they had their birthday celebrations. Right, now's the time to really put them in place. And that... Transition from pre-season to the proper stuff was seamless. Uh, from that Gary Stevens goal at Douglas Park against Hamilton Aki's in the opening day, famously, of course, the first goal of nine in a row, Rangers ripped through the opening eight league games, dropping only one point along the way. The, the 2-0 win over Aki's matched by the kind of expected wins against St Mern and Dundee at home, but also three away wins at Motherwell, Hearts, Dundee United. Traditionally, Difficult, at least awkward trips, um, showed an early resolve in this Rangers side, coupled with, um, in the case of that 1-0 win up at Tanadai, some excellent football. That was uh, an Ian Ferguson header, just seven minutes from time um, to give Rangers the win, the least that Rangers deserved on the night. Uh, Jim McLean had to say there was only one team on the park. Rangers were miles ahead, and I thought tactically brilliant. Any memories of, of, of that, that Tanadice game, gents, midweek? Yeah, no recollection. <laughs> I was on the telly that night. For some reason, when the goal goes in, I'm wearing a yellow jumper. I have no idea why I was wearing a yellow jumper. It must be quite cold. And you can see my fist pumping there. I remember it going. It was a, that back post and mm. the and it was to the left of the goal. And it just we were riding on a crest of wave at this point. We just we were clicking on every level. It felt like. The, the results, apart from one obvious one, don't look sensational, but I never felt we were really that much in trouble in any game, which is unusual for us in, in, at the start of the season. It's almost unheard of, let's face it. It's us. We are so slow starters. But at this point, we're nine points ahead of Celtic. Yeah. After eight games, we're nine points ahead of Celtic. 
Yeah. I mean, we blow them out of the park in a way that the only other season I can remember doing it with a, an, an old firm win at the beginning, which destroys them, is 77-78. We just, we're flying. We are, the world is our oyster. Everything we could have hoped for at the beginning is suddenly just opening up. It's not as if, I think McCoyce has an injury at one point, mm. maybe Drinkle might have. It's all seamless, though. Yeah. And we're playing lovely football. As you say, there's a calm, a composure. Wilkins is pulling a lot of strings, it feels like. Walters is... I mean, we just have the best players. Yeah. I mean, we have a sensational squad in it. As you say, do you want to show the love? How, over these three seasons, and maybe we don't go further than Europe, is probably the only disappointment. Yeah. Because this is one of the best squads and one of the best teams we have had in the past 40, yeah. 50 years. I mean, I'd, I'd guess going loud up to that, you're, you're winning the European Cup. Yes. I think. Absolutely. Uh, um, but anyway, for this season, for the first time, Anderson, no messing about, no fumbling about at the, start, <laughs> the starting line. And although this run, I think the best Rangers had enjoyed since 74-75, had its roots in Tuscany, it was jet-propelled by one famous afternoon in Govan. Dangerous moment, though, the ball came across, goal for Butcher's header. That's off the post, there's McAvenny! Ray Wilkins will take the free kick. Goff is in the box once again. So is Butcher. Back to Brown. Blocked by McCarthy, there's McCoist! Goff and Butcher have gone up. Launched in field by Stevens, there's Butcher. Back with Wilkins. Absolutely magnificent from Ray Wilkins. Well, a goal made in England with throw from Gary Stevens. The header on from Terry Butcher, the stunning volley from Wilkins, and Andrews scarcely moved. Here's Durant retrieving it for Rangers. McCoy nods it on an awkward one for Andrews. And the ball is in the net. It's a goal for Rangers. McCoy to Walters. Walters now facing McCarthy. Getting in a fine cross. Right, gentlemen, shall we enjoy? There is a time capsule on this, the very first time capsule on the 5-1 game in August 88. Uh, the, the thing that, that should be mentioned first, and it, it's no coincidence that you get a, a result in a performance like this, Andy, um, soon as had near enough a full squad with which to choose, only Monroe was injured and you know John Brown's coming in there, I don't think soon as would be too bothered by that. Um, 
Billy McNeil not quite enjoying the same kind of fortunes, um, speculation about Frank McAvenny returning to London, kind of dominating the uh, the, the press conferences. Um, we've said this before on shows, but, but McNeil's prescient accuracy the, the day before the game when he said there is much chance of McAvenny moving as there is of Rangers beating us 5-1 tomorrow um, was obviously superb. Pat Bonner's injured, Alan McKnight was sold, so his big concern, who's he going to throw in for, for the old firm goalkeeping debut? Um, he had Alan Ruff, um, experienced but never played, or his new signing, 250 grand from Leicester City, uh, Ian Andrews. Um, he would go with Andrews. Uh, Andrews said, I've not seen very much of Rangers, but that doesn't worry me. If we do our job properly, we'll beat them. I know nerves will come into it at some point. It all helps to keep you on your toes. Uh, by the time the teams lined up, uh, I think things had changed for Andrews. Butcher said, I looked at him and saw his eyes were glazed. I turned to Woodsy and told him his opposite number was all over the place and we would win this one. Well, we certainly did, Andy. Before we talk about the game, um, again, it's just this show of strength and power there's no no dramas here no suspensions and big injuries uh it's, it's pretty much a rangers team at, at full throttle it's an iconic game and i think the the perspective that should be noted here especially for younger listeners is that five one big big victories of that margin just didn't happen in all form games though they hadn't happened for a long long time you'll probably know better than me martin the exact data so a victory of that magnitude was huge, absolutely huge. That was a tanking. Um, it's a tanking any day of the week, but at this point in time, for an old firm game, it was unheard of to see one half of them, you know, be so dominant in a game. And, uh, you know, it changed everything for us. I don't think it's any exaggeration. I don't think it's any coincidence it was the first game you selected for a team capsule because it changed everything for us. And that not just that season, but in terms of mindset, it pushed Celtic way, way back in terms of, what they'd achieved last year, it was forgotten completely. And um, it was a show of strength. It was. We, we had our new signings out. The guys we'd signed the previous season, like Walters, had uh, bedded in completely. And then you had the likes of Wilkins added to the mix. Um, a great blend because you've got Brown, uh, people like that that knew what it was all about. Uh, McCoyce was still on the team. And it was just a great victory because... I don't know, was it five minutes into the game about McAvenny yeah, yeah. scores? And, and you know, it's, it's pissing doing, it's blustery, they score, and you're like, oh no, here we go. Here we go and yeah. then it all changed. The sun, yeah. the sun started shining the righteous. Indeed it did. Um, only three times in the, the previous 40 old firm games had there been a margin of uh, three goals. So, you, you know, you're absolutely right. This, this, this wasn't the norm. John, can you remember, before, we'll get into the, the, a bit of the detail uh, and enjoy that but the, the pre-match stuff you've got the football and contest atmosphere Rangers bit between their teeth want the title back Celtic coming there as, as, as newly crowned champions double winners um, early on the season only week three um, but the political tensions were, were there it's, it's absolutely undeniable as uh, an IRA campaign of violence kind of reaching its crescendo seven British soldiers were, were killed by a bomb attack on the bus um, and if former players on the after dinner circuit are to be believed it was kind of opportunistically included in Sunnis' 
theme talk, um, given that you've got a start in the living that contains six Englishmen. Very much, that's what they represent. And pointing to the picture of the Queen, etc., this is what we represent. And this is bigger than, than, than just football. Um, do you remember much about the, the kind of free show or kind of electricity before the, the game even started? I don't think it was exceptional as what was described. Uh, it was it was excellent. It was it was akin to where it was two years before in '86. So on different levels, you know, the first one when Durant scores a winner. I think there's an expectation, or a hope, but an expectation we're going to do it. The result, there is no expectation of what transpires. I mean, and there is probably for. for in the 80s, this is a, all the violence is, is bubbling up again. But if you were kicking about in the 70s, actually, there was a lot of it going about then. So there was always an edge. Obviously, to a stadium compared to the 70s. But it's, there's, a, there's a general buzz because of, I wouldn't even say just the political, but because of how we're playing, how we're set up. There's debts to be repaid from the previous season, and we're looking good. It's normally try to remember the last, even after this, when we go into a first old firm game without having at least one or two defeats behind us, and we're playing catch up. Now we're going in. I think we're point off top, maybe because we get three points out of four, but we're near the top of the table. Very unusual. We're sort of cruising along. No suspensions, no injuries. Again, very unusual. It's it's very idyllic in terms of the preparation and the build-up. And there just is a hunger. You just sense it. I think even Ireland beating England. Mm. And you've got to remember, they had Bonner, Morris, McCarthy, all in that Irish team. And we have all this English. And it is a sort of, that sort of build-up. And I think there is a few dates both on a national and club level, and maybe as soon as takes into a sort of, shall we say, pseudo political level, mm. that there doesn't need much oil poured in those fires. In yeah. fact, in hindsight, yeah, it is remarkable how calm we were and how focused. Well, because if that had been the the previous season that he made that speech, we'd have ended up with eight men. Well, we, I mean, we, we, we know the story of that, of course, with, with, with the 2-2, two, two, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. This, it would have, uh, there'd be echoes of this, I think, uh, in 99. Yes. With, with the visit of uh, to, the Rangers to Parkhead to win the title and a laser focus on the football only. Folk falling at the stands, Celtic players losing their heads, red cards, whatever, don't care. It's, no provocation, no retaliation, do the job, you're better than them. And this is not a dirty game. There are a few challenges early on, for sure, but it's an old firm game. But it's not remarkably filthy. Um, it is just an, a football anniversation. Andy, you're right, doesn't quite start like that with, with McAvenny's goal. McCoy's equaliser, though, and these are both good strikes by opportunistic and very alert strikers. Terrible defending, both of them. The wind is up. Chris Woods notices this in, in the build-up. And he say, it comes uh, in the first half, sorry. And he, he says um, at half-time, look, that that was hard out there at our end. Um, you maybe want to send a few up-and-unders for, 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 for their new goalie in the second half, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, McCoy's reaction to his equaliser, 
Now McCoy's that smiling assassin, the the, the happy go lucky guy, the, the joy in scoring goals. McCoy's looks fucking furious when he scores. I mean, there's there is just this edge to this Rangers approach and the the, 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 the the kind of focus that they have that we are not losing this game, we're not drawing this game, we're going to win it and we're going to win by, by some margin and that uh, celebration I think is in contrast to, to the Wilkins one which is pure joy, you have Rangers players just laughing at just what they've what they've seen um, from, from, from that strike um, your, your memories of those two goals Andy yeah, you don't do what McCoy's did in the game without a bit of steel behind the, the laugh of jokey alley. And, but you didn't really see it often. He certainly did that day, and it probably speaks back to what you were saying about what was said in the dressing room and the kind of the, the drive and the, the belief that was instilled in them before they went out in the park. Um, the goal for Wilkins, on the other hand, is just... I mean, if, if, you, if you say to me, right, you've got to watch one goal on a loop for the rest of your life on your eyeballs, <laughs> some kind of orange torture, that would be the one that I'd watch because it's just poetry. It, it, it's just absolutely beautiful the way it just catches that ball and the way it hits the back of the net. It's just beyond belief to do that in a an old firm game. And even the, the commentary, which, you know, the, the goal made in England and the way that Wilkins wheels away that look in his face mm. that was weird I mean we love Wilkins even as early as that but that's why he's he's, he was, he's held as such such high regard by Rangers fans because you don't get to deliver moments like that often in your career to, to fans and, and protect to your heart in an instant uh, it was a fantastic goal and uh it just went uphill for there didn't it <laughs> yeah, it really did just a wee note on Wilkins and look Soonest is use of the market. We'll, we'll get into this maybe in a later episode. Uh, one of the, the the laziest jibes was he, he's a checkbook manager. I could I could win what he wins with Rangers with, with that kind of money. Plenty of examples in football of high spending failures. Uh, you have to spend it well, and he did. He had control, by the way, complete control of of you know how he how he spent his money or Rangers money. Um, but he'd be very good at short-term deals. Clearly, he would buy some players that we've spoken about over the last year that would, you know, stand the test of time at Rangers. Um, but in those short-term, I mean, Wilkins was only there for two years, but he was just beloved. Uh, now, this helps, of course, but, he, but as I said before, he, he got us and, and, and we certainly got him. Um, Tommy Burns injured at half-time. Uh, Billy McNeil replaces him with a defender instead of the more attacking kind of Joe Miller option, I guess to try and dig in, keep it at 2-1, but any plans were, were, were left in tatters pretty quickly. Ian Andrews can't deal with that that looping ball in the in the air um, with, with the wind that, the, the, that Chris Woods had discussed at halftime. Kevin Drinkle cements his early status with the Rangers fans with what I can only legally described, there's no other way of doing it, as a bullet header uh, into that, that top right-hand corner. Um, Walters then sweeps up to make it five um, with, what, half an hour ago? Yeah, just under half an hour to go. It would have been a penalty anyway. John, and I want both of you to just try and explain, because I said Andy said, I've, I've backed it up with the stats, this doesn't happen. Old Firm games are torturous, they are nervy, they are tense, uh, they're close. 
that feeling of we could win this at half time to we are going to win this at 3-1 to Jesus what is happening here how much and how many can we actually get the floodgates were open John um, how did that feel yeah as you say even the, the ones you described before I think you need to go back to probably about 74 75 new year one which was actually a meaningful hmm. 3-0 demolition we had a couple in between and they had one but they were there were nothing games. It wasn't, you know, title run-ins or anything. I mean, you're going back to the 60s for both teams, actually. Um, and Scottish Cup final 69, I guess. January 66, when they're dancing about in trainers. I think it'd be August 60 was the last time we did it. And at 2-1 at half time, you're thinking, just hold it. You, you know, you want to win. And if it gets 3-1, you breathe a bit easier. But, you know, just win. Because... We were better in the first half, but we weren't. We weren't walking all over the top of them. I didn't feel it, they could with McAvaney, who was a really good player. I mean, for all these shenanigans or whatever, he was a cracking striker. Yeah, I mean, he really was, and he, he scored this goal at nothing in many ways. You know, when it comes back off, it's a f- finisher's goal the way McCoy was. So you think, and then the only goal you can fault Andrews for is that third one. I don't think he's, bl- he's, he's to blame for any of no, the four because no. they're, they're all excellent goals. Goes to four, and we should have had a penalty before four when I think White brings down yeah. Walters in yeah. the box. And it goes to, and they're punch drunk. It, it's quite fascinating watching the game just around that fourth goal. Their legs have gone. It's like a boxer who's taken one too many to the chip, and they are just, they're not even grimming on for, for whole life. We seem to be three, four, five yards ahead of them and they're running in concrete boots. And when it... We're still buzzing after the fourth. Up and it's... Chaos away. Aitken brings it down, gives away a penalty, takes out his own man, and then Walters puts it in. And at that point, you, you're thinking this could be ten. I mean, the crowd starts shouting after us, we want seven. Yeah. Immediately. But you are thinking... And it's probably the only time I've ever thought this in an old firm game with us. But half an hour to go, they're done. And this is them done for the season, actually. This yeah, is why yeah. they're so far back. This busts them. And you think, we could really run up because everybody is flying. You can see it. And I watched the game again. It was weird. The number of times Butcher or Goff are actually, not at a corner, but are busting through 30, mm. 40 yards from goal. We're full of energy. We're is playing sensational, and they're all over the place. I mean, they're making tactical switches. They bring on White. They put him to left back, and they push Anton Rogan in the midfield. Oh, dear me! And to it face, is to like, face uh, Walters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is like what? But you watch us, and the crowd don't believe it. There's a genuine buzz. The, the ball boy behind that range, the the at the Copeland behind the goal is sensational. Mm-hmm. And it just is one of those the 29 minutes to go, 61 minutes in the clock, 62, when the fifth goes in. And you're like, we can really do this. Look, this could be as many as we want because they're done. They are literally, they're not even putting in bad tackles. They're, I mean, they're just, everything's gone from them. It is weird and we're, we're flying in a way which 
be interesting to see what you two. I don't think I've ever seen us be like at that score, close to with half an hour to go. It is it is a sensational performance. It's one of the best second half or fifteen minutes of the second yeah, half yeah. I think I've ever seen because you just take it away from them. Nobody can believe it. Four one is like five one is like what is going on here? You know, I haven't seen Rangers score five. Since. Yeah, I know. And Andy, you're younger. I mean, what are you thinking here? This is just it's something we, we, none of us have seen. It's dreamland. Absolute dreamland. I'm 12 year old, man. I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, the, the, I mean, the scoreboards were, were still a relative novelty then. Yeah. And looking up at it, and it was, I don't know, was it 57 minutes or something? We scored the fourth or the fifth? I can't remember. But I remember, as John says, there was, there was so much left of the game. That you're like, ah, we're, we're going to soak this in and we want to scourge your arse. And that's why they were saying, we want five, we want six, we want seven. And then obviously, as soon as comes on and does his bit and kills that, dream soon. As a 12 year old, as a 12 year old, this is beyond your wildest dreams. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dying to get home and get a strip on and get the ball out and, and reenact this. I mean, I um, oh, as soon as it's blamed, I mean, um, Brown, Durant, McCoy, Ian Ferguson, furious, somehow furious after a 5-1 demolition um, at Soonest for coming on and humiliating them in, a, I guess, a different way. Uh, it's not running up a cricket score, it's keeping the ball, spraying it about, rubbing their noses in it. Um, but, you know, the Celtic players are panicking, it can't get seven, it can't get to seven. Um, and Soonest doesn't care. He's not been brought up in, in that thing. That, that 7-1 doesn't mean a thing to him. Um, but yeah, there, there was a wee bit of consternation after that. Um, I felt I was to blame. I I got out of hospital after a hernia operation. I was, what, seven on the Friday and was sat up in, uh, or on my, my, my parents' bed listening to, to the radio. Of course, last five minutes of the first half, second half live. Um and you also get the scores as they, they come in, and I, I kept, for whatever reason, going down the stairs to tell my mum that's 2-1, 3-1, it's 4-1, and then when it got to 5-1, I said, this is too sore to just keep coming down to tell you the score, I'm going to come down and put the headphones on and, and, and listen to it in the big radio in the living room. Of course, the action stopped, it's, it's that um, leaving leaving the living room um, with a, a boring 0-0 to, to make a cup of tea, and there's a, there's a goal kind of thing. Um, the wait for me, for that, that what, 24 hours, until Scott Sport on the Sunday to actually see any of this was interminable. I just wanted to to soak it on, but when it came, it was uh, it was huge. Um, you sound like my mother. <laughs> she she wasn't she was up the town, and this is a classic story in my family. She she came back. She went in the video shop at quarter to five um, at the foot of the road with my sister, and she went up. And she didn't know who the guy was, obviously. And she knew him and talked to him, but didn't know he was a blue nose. And he's obviously desperate. And he goes, some result today. And she goes, what? He said, the old firm. She went, what was it? She went, he went 5-1. And she went, oh, Graham, how could you let them do it to us? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and she went, 2-2. Two, two. And she went, um, he went, he just won 5-1. I think the guy left the counter at this yeah. point. At which point my sister lifts up carries her out the shop and <laughs> takes her up the street to see the And she gave my dad pelters because he came in with the paper and he said, right, is it on the night? She, he went, eh, looked at back even, but he said, no, it's tomorrow. And he, he was like, 
No. She, she was furious the game was not on oh. on the Saturday. And she didn't. The house was cleaned the next day to make sure everything was perfect because the nervous energy was. Um, and then Scott Sport came on, and that was it, you know, cup of tea. And she was kicking every ball. But it just. Because you had to wait, because yeah. sports scene <laughs> on a Saturday night was on at well, 10 o'clock, half 10. Yes. And so you're waiting up. I didn't know. And it's, oh, it's Aberdeen, Dundee United, come on. Now, in those <laughs> days, they showed. The, their game, which was proper highlights in those days, we've talked about this on, on the show yes. before, and then uh, you have three other uh, very quick highlights, the goals really from three other games, and then it would be the the, the, the Scott Sport would have the other game the, the following day and I'm sitting there as a naive seven year old, so maybe they'll show the goals in, in the wee round up they do at the end, which of course they wouldn't because Scott Sport had the rights oh it was horrible, but when it came, it came and there was a, a wee treat for Scott Sport viewers because Tommy Burns was interviewed <laughs> seemingly from his living room um, to apologise um, incredible, I followed it up in the press saying, in all my years with Celtic I've never been involved in anything so humiliating however, it won't happen again of course it would and we'll get to that in due course uh, the result was a strong signal and the media reaction on the Monday I think finally grasped it this two year period of adjustment was over um, Rangers players who weren't died in the wool, they knew enough about what was required and now they could kind of power on with their, their demonstration of their quality. Celtic were shell-shocked by this. Uh, they lost three out of the next five league games, crashed out the Skull League Cup. Rangers, this is week three of the Premier League. They went top of the Scottish Premier Division that afternoon and would not move from that spot for the entirety of the season. Skull League Cup boys, the, the familiar early season crews, 13 goals in three rounds. Well, let's talk about Europe. Uh, UEFA Cup, again, we are behind the Iron Curtain um, uh, to Poland. Fourth draw in a row uh, to place Katowice, uh, first round opponents. First leg at Ibrox, John, um, a bit of a scrappy affair. Rangers won one nil. maybe fortunate to get that. Walters got the second half goal, but... Uh, the Poles could easily have been ahead before half time. Gary Stevens had to clear off the goal line on in, in, in one occasion. Um, a little sign of those old frustrations and ill discipline. Uh, John Brown uh, given a ban for, for throwing a, a Polish physio's medical bag off the pitch, all the contents spilling out. Um, and then the second leg, um, that concentration familiar. Um, was becoming endemic. Rangers won down within four minutes. Chris Wood slipped when trying to, 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 to dive to stop a free kick. And you, you must have been thinking, well, here we go, this is the Rangers story in Europe. However, it was from then on almost the perfect European performance, guys. Um, Butcher with a couple of headers, um, the Poles equalised on the night, but there was no Rangers retreat. Um, Ian Durant, Ian Ferguson scored two more to put the game well out of sight. A 4-2 away win. Um, John, yeah, as I said, signs of the old, but maybe signs of the kind of modern European approach, especially away from home, that that we've been demanding. Yeah, well, even at home, we don't lose a goal, which, you know, yeah. we have been guilty of. And we weren't great at Ibrox. I mean, considering how good the, the domestic form was, it wasn't up there with what was happening. But you go away and... I don't know, I felt by this point 1-0 is a decent result in Europe because we didn't always score away from home, but generally we made chances and therefore there was a chance 
that we would score away from home, which means they would probably need to score three to get through. So it's, I think it just gives a reassurance that this is, you get to a point because our European performances, by and large, for these three seasons, we when we go out, it's not because we get a 3-0 paste in somewhere or whatever. It's, we could have done better, but there's no humiliations. And when you go to Katowice, anywhere, Eastern Europe, whatever, you know, it's not like playing League Ireland team or whatever, and you go away and you win 4-2 playing football, you know, after losing a goal in the first five minutes, and you just say, OK, we've lost the goal, it's level an argument, and then you, the next day, five minutes, you win 4-1. There is a, it gives you a confidence, mm. a, a belief that we're going we're gonna to crack this European thing. I don't necessarily mean we'll win a European trophy, but we're going to go quarters again, semis, whatever. Because we do seem to be, and this is probably the high point around now, we do seem to understand Europe at this point. We aren't getting easy draws, we aren't getting hellish ones, generally. But we know how to work our way through it. And we've got an experienced team. I mean, Gary Stevens, he must have a Cup Winners Cup medal. Mm. Butchers mm. get the UEFA, UEFA Cup. Cup yeah. soon as, well, I mean, there is experience of winning Goths being the European Cup semi-final. So there is experience and there is an expectation that we're going to go places. You know, and winning 4-2 away... It's a cracking result. However you dress it up, it is a cracking result in any unless you're playing, you know. Even now if you went to Gibraltar and beat somebody four two, you'd say that was a decent result. Yeah. It's it's diff it was a departure, yeah. wasn't it? Um yeah. Andy, um from the the kind of four five one smothering job that Sunas had, had tried in Kiev and Bucharest, um even the last trip um, to Poland uh, to just protect that that 3-1 that uh, victory over Gornick um, there was an, uh, an ability and a willingness to to be a bit more adventurous that night uh, Poland still had a fairly uh, in fact more than fairly good reputation in world football at that point they were regarded as a, a good football nation still part of the Eastern Bloc suppose that was part of the kind of mysticism but it, it was unusual for us to go away from home score four goals in Europe that was the bottom line. So just as we're saying, it was unusual for us to beat Celtic 5-1. Mm. It was unusual for this as well. And uh, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think this was ever on TV in any way, shape or form. I remember listening to it on the radio and I can't recall ever seeing any of the goals. Oh, no, the goals are there. It was on Sports Night. Goals are there. Yeah, so on Sports Night on a Wednesday night. But it certainly wasn't live for sure. You, you would have had ah. to have, have listened through a, a, basically a telephone line uh, back, to, ah. back to Blighty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, listen, uh, it's not a bad performance at all. Um, and uh, there's some famous games, of course, we've talked about one of the most famous. I would go and have a look at that. If any listeners have not yet gone and looked at the Gornick game at home the previous season, that is one of the best first halves I've seen from a Rangers team in Europe. It's absolutely exceptional stuff. Um, so there's something building perhaps what well, looks like there's something building in terms of our European competence I think that'll do us for this evening gentlemen thank you very much always a pleasure to discuss Rangers with you thank you Andy thanks Martin thanks John thank you John
Yeah, thanks to you both, and apologies to the listeners. It wasn't the seven-hour special. The editor's cutting it short. <laughs> uh, well, we'll release that. We'll release that another day. Um, in that night in Poland, uh, soon as felt the two final goals by Durant and Ian Ferguson were fitting because I thought they were the best players on the park. For Durant especially, it was just another step on an upward career trajectory that was reaching for the stars. Besides Cooper, he was the most natural creative force in the Rangers team and was the obvious heir to his role as the homegrown genius who loved the club as much as the sport itself. In a game where simply wanting it isn't enough, the resonance of players who can match supreme talent with an instinctive appreciation for those who pay to watch is incalculable. David Cooper made a rare start alongside Durant in Poland that night. The two men would never line up for Rangers again. Until next time, bye for now. Podcast Network.